Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. the opening paragraph on Just Capital's website because it says exactly who they are. Just, what the world needs. The world needs more just companies. Companies that believe in fair pay and equal treatment for all workers. Companies that create good jobs and understand the value of strong communities. Companies that are committed to a healthy planet. Just Capital measures and ranks companies on the issues Americans care about most so you can then act on that knowledge with your voice, your purchase decisions, your investment dollars, your career choices, your leadership. You have the power to make the world a more just place. Data at the heart, a company that I'm so thrilled they're on the scene because they're going to help accelerate, amplify the world to be more just and to give companies really clear roadmaps about the changes they need to make in policies, in behaviors, in products and services so that we all can have a more just world. Martin Whitaker, he is the CEO of Just Capital. So welcome to the show, Martin. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me on. So Martin, can you share with us, just tell us a little bit about your background and how it brought you to your current role at Just Capital? Sure. And that, that's a very kind introduction. Thank you. Um, so my background really is a bit of a, a, a mixture. I began life as a scientist. I cared a lot about the environment. I worked for an oil company briefly in the environmental group. You know, I really wanted to have an impact on the world. And the, the, the best way to do that was by following the money. And so I really made it my business to get into the world of finance and investing because I felt like, for me, that's that's the way I could have the biggest impact. And so, you know, that's what I did. I uh, really came early in the in the really the mid to late nineties to the space of what is now called sort of impact and sustainable investing. Um, began life in research as an analyst, focusing on uh, natural resource industries, and then. Really moved into the clean energy markets. Uh, I worked for Swiss Re, Swiss Re Capital Markets in Midtown uh, Manhattan. Um, we were involved in all sorts of environmental markets and building sustainable investment products. And uh, and from there, I, I moved into the sort of private investing world. I, I worked for a, a family office in Connecticut where I live family of uh, Jets, of uh, Jesse and Betsy Fink. And, you know, they were very keen to both generate 
returns and have an impact with their money. And I'd always believed that that was possible. Uh, and, and, you know, really, uh, that could be applied across all sorts of investing, you know, uh, approaches and styles. But because of my time as an analyst and my background in research, you know, I knew that the data was really at the heart of that, of being able to do that. And that unless you had good data and good analysis, uh, much the same way that you couldn't make finan- you know, good financial investments without good data and good analysis, you couldn't do the same on environmentals or social or health or other sort of you know, uh, major sort of impact areas. So when I was approached to be the CEO and the founding CEO of Just Capital, it sort of brought together everything that I'd done. It was all about the research. It was a belief in markets and capital and business as a way to address, you know, major, major issues. And, you know, it really focused on trying to sort of leverage the, the private sector. And so it sort of brought together all the things that I've been doing as an investor and as, a, as an analyst and as a, as a builder of things over the last, you know, 20, 25 years. What is Just Capital's mission? So the mission is to build a more just marketplace in America. We believe that markets have to serve more Americans. We believe that's a, a, a win-win. And so that's our goal. We want to we try and shift the trajectory of capitalism onto a more just course. And interestingly, um, one of the core founders of Just Capital was Paul Tudor Jones II. Um, I mean, one of the you know top financiers, um, investment and investors um, in this country, perhaps in the world, as well as Deepak Chopra and as well Ariana Huffington. It's a it's an interesting mix of individuals, but um, it seems to be an oxymoron. Why is Paul Tudor Jones interested in redefining capitalism to be more just well he's he's doing it because he's really concerned about the direction we're headed in uh you know like many of us you know he obviously is not just a a legendary trader but he's also a a philanthropic visionary you know he founded robin hood foundation here in new york city you know what he sees is the growth of of wealth inequality the exacerbation of all of, of so many social and environmental problems you know, you cannot solve those without the private sector. You have to get the gears of capitalism working to solve those issues, not make them worse. And so, you know, his thinking is, as it is with all of our our board members and our team, is how do you do that? How do you get companies, investors, and different stakeholders of the market to to sort of work in a little, in, in a slightly different way, a way that, you know, aligns with, you know, of the, the values and the priorities that we all share, as opposed to simply focusing on short-term shareholder value. So that's, that's really at the root of his motivation behind Just Capital. And so you talk about changing the gears of capitalism. And I know since I've worked in the field for over 30 years that companies that have wanted to do well by doing good, they can invest hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yet, if the financial markets do not recognize that doing this goodness 
pays off for business. They're never going to make the, they're never going to get to what they want to see in their vision. And so I'd love you to talk about the core product, so to speak, um, at the center of Just Capital, which is your flagship rankings, the Just 100. How do they work? What have you found? And how are they? It's a long question, three-parter. Um, how has it truly changed uh, the behavior of companies? Well, uh, let, let's start with the way you teed that up. You're absolutely right. This has to be a win-win. This is not a question of the zero-sum game that we, uh, you know, many people still believe in. I think that that is a myth. The idea that you know, looking after more of your stakeholders and investing in your people and communities and the environment, all of that must come out of the pockets of shareholders. Uh, I think that that doctrine is going the way of the dodo. Um, I think we live in a, a society and increasingly companies are competing, um, you know, for talent on on their core purpose. They're, 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 they're having to meet the needs of more stakeholders for the reason is it makes them better companies. It makes them more competitive. And we think there's a strong uh, financial story from being more just. And the data that we have supports that claim. And, you know, because I've been around this space for a long time, you know, there's 20 years of research that can can support this, this notion that, uh, you know, companies can can should do more out of enlightened self-interest, not because they're nice, you know, nice people. So the way the just hundred, the just one hundred was constructed, and the way the model works is quite simple. First of all, we poll the American people at great length. Uh, it actually takes place over many months in multiple surveys to ascertain uh, how, on a fully representative basis, all around the country. Uh, how people define the behavior of a just company, and that's in a very specific way. Things like: does it pay a living wage? You know, does it provide good benefits? Does it invest in local communities, and so on and so forth? Um, we also use uh, survey work to weight those criteria, which is a reflection of relative importance in the minds of the public. So that tells us what to measure and how important it is in the model. Our team here in New York then gathers the best available data on the largest 1,000 publicly traded companies in the country on all of those criteria. And then we attach a score that tracks their relative performance on each thing. Uh, and the scores and the weights all add up and they drive the ranking. And then we, so we rank all 1,000 companies head to head on all the issues. Um, and then we, you know, the top 100, we, we name them as the just 100 and we award them a seal. We celebrate their leadership and we showcase all the things that they're doing. And, you know, we really want to try and create a race to the top. We've also done work to build an index and the index is, is launched, uh, about two, two and a half years ago now when we did our first rankings um, which are the best 50% of companies by our ranking in every industry. And then if you bundle all those together in a portfolio, as we've done, and then track it, it actually outperforms the the its benchmark, the overall universe of companies. And it's outperformed by somewhere in the region of 300 and 
fifty or three hundred and sixty basis points in live trading over the over the course of that uh, time. Now that that product um, serves to support the ETF that Goldman Sachs launched, and we license the index to them. So, that, and, and let's and, and let's make sure that people know it's called the Just ETF. Thank you. Exactly. So, it's listed on the New York yeah. Stock Exchange. It's it, it's uh, the ticker is JUST Just. Um, nice. It's a great example of how just companies, you know, uh, do well across all the things that we're measuring, um, which we can put a number to, but they also generate better returns and stronger, uh, a strong financial story. So that's all goes to support this notion of, of, you know, trying to create a win-win for investors and other stakeholders. And so that's why I just want to share with my listeners, since I've been doing this work for so long, I've been looking for the Holy Grail. What is the key point? And there's this this theme that which gets measured gets done. And I believe personally, Carol Cohn, that what Just Capital is doing with the different types, whether it's Ariana, which talks about your life and your health and such, Deepak Chopra talks about your soul, or Paul Tudor Jones, or Martin talking about capital and how capital can be deployed in a more powerful way. I want to thank you for all of us who have been doing this purpose work for so long because you're proving it. And I would, uh, we're going to put, we put show notes uh, when we launch this and I would love people to just, we're going to put the link to your video. You have this really good introductory video and you say just 100 companies pay median, the median of them 33% more to their workers that the, um, there, they have over 38% more employees in total. They have zero FDA fines. They pay no consumer product safety commission fees over the last three years. They donate 3.8 times more to charity per dollar of revenue. Um, they emit 72% fewer greenhouse gases per dollar of red revenue on and on and on. And then I love the point in the video where you say, what does this cost companies and shareholders? Not a penny. And then in there, you say you're delivering on average an 8% higher return on equity. And I love it where you just say, it's just plain smart business. So kudos to you. And that's why I want people to truly understand your mission, because the more that and I've heard this from some of my colleagues at, when I go to Sustainable Brands or CCP or others, they say, where are you in the just 100? So let's talk about um, some of the leaders. You know, you've been doing this work. How many years have you been doing the rankings now? The rankings, this will be the, the third year. The first year we actually did an, an industry only ranking. So let's call it total rankings four years. Okay. And so who's leading? And I, I really want to hear candidly. And if you don't want to put the company's name, I wish you would. You know, someone said this to you, how the rankings have impacted them. I also want to let our listeners know that you don't just interview or do surveys with a thousand, um, you know, Americans. Well, the last one I thought was what, 81,000 surveys. I mean, this is not a small feat that you're doing here. Exactly. In, in, in survey and polling, uh, in the survey and polling world, I mean, the numbers are very, very big. And the reason behind that is we wanted to be able to break it down so that we could see how different sort of constituencies within the American population think about things. You know, we want to look, especially, for example, right now at how, you know, Democrats and Republicans or those on the left and the right, you know, where are the differences, you know, in age and in income um, and so on and so forth. So that's 
that's really important. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like also the fact that we go to the public to define what matters also makes it a lot more interesting to the companies. And what I think one of the surprising things for me as we've done this over the last five years is the receptivity of the companies. You know, you would think that that they would they would they would, you know, be ambivalent or even resistant to this idea of somebody coming in to rank them on how how they're doing on on matters, you know, relative uh, importance to the public. In fact, uh, many companies, I think, welcome it because we're very transparent. We're very data driven. We show the companies everything. You know, we've built an online exchange where they can come in and like see all the data. So there's no surprises. Um, they get to give us data or question the question the data we have. You know, we see ourselves as you know we we have sort of journalistic integrity. We we, we just want to get to the truth. Like, what is a company doing on fair pay? Now, it's not easy. There's oftentimes there's no simple you know single answer to that, but at least if uh, you know companies sort of are questioning what we're doing, they can see precisely where the data is going from and what our methodology is. So that's, I would say that's just a been been a big factor in the companies themselves embracing what we're doing and seeing it as credible. The number one company in 2018 was Microsoft, and they came to our launch and they talked very eloquently about all the things they're doing across their workforce. Uh, you know, they are real a, a real leader in gender pay equity. They 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 publish a lot of that work which companies don't often do so they they've actually led if you look at all the criteria you know we break we have seven major sort of themes in our model um you know how a company treats its workers its customers the nature of the products that it makes its environmental impact its impact on communities the job market they making kind of generating good jobs and then lastly do they make money and are they well managed? Microsoft uh, and all the companies at the top, they tend to do well across all of them. They're not perfect. They're not necessarily, we don't hold them out as being perfect, but certainly they tend to do well across the more heavily weighted aspects of the model, which again, according to the public, the, the most sort of heavily weighted, the, 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 the greatest priorities around how a company treats its workforce. And especially issues to do with pay, discrimination, training, benefits, things like that. So Microsoft does very well on all of those things, um, as well as in other areas too. And that's the reason why it's at the top. And then, and who who else do you do you want to call out for um, their res- receptivity to the Just One Hundred, and how they may be changing some of their policies? Well, I I, I give you the example of GM. Uh, we were surprised to learn not only were, were we mentioned in their um, quarterly earnings uh, press release in their call, but the CEO's compensation, Mary Barra's compensation package, includes their just ranking, which which we thought was was that's kudos to you, yeah. congratulations, and and we just to let you know we just had General Motors on an, a recent podcast, and you know they're they're totally Mary is leading them on a whole cultural shift, um, you know towards their vision of zero zero zero, you know zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero um, congestion. But she knows, you know, they talk about it. It's a 20, 30-year shift. What you've just said is the key word, culture. I think what we're picking up 
in a very practical way is a company's culture and the quality of its overall management approach. And it's been, this has been a factor in sort of intangible value analysis for, for decades. But by going to the public, which is sort of counterintuitive, really, but by going to the public and saying, what do you care about? What matters to you? You're actually crowdsourcing the 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 sort of the DNA of of the you know a 21st century company, and you put all of that together in one overall package, and that's really what you're talking about: the culture of a company today and how it thinks about itself, how it defines its own success, you know, and really what its long term purpose is. And so you're proving the mantra, which is, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Well, I, I, I would say, <laughs> I, I think I agree with that. But I, I guess the way I look at it is um, that what, what, you know, you, you can't just sort of, um, you know, deal with these issues on a tactical basis. You know, you can't just look at individual elements of, ESG or sustainability in isolation from the core business. And I think what's happening now is that when you look at um, the field of human capital, for example, you know, it's fundamentally shifting. You know, you've got a whole generation of workers who think very differently about their relationships with the companies, what they want from work, where they work, how they work. Um, their access to data and information. I mean, that is not a that is not a, a a sort of a side issue. That is fundamental to a company's ability to compete. And I I sort of feel as though that you cannot you know maybe when I started out or when you you were you know in in early on in the purpose field, you know you could deal with this in sort of separate silos within a company. But nowadays that's not what's going on and. In order to have a company-wide approach, uh, you have to address that from the top down, and it has to relate to the core culture of an organization. And, and I think that's brilliant. I mean, that's a God. Where were you 20 years ago? <laughs> I wouldn't have had to have worked so hard. Um, no, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head. It is not a tactical. Let's just because the, the key thing today, and you know, I just got back from Canada's D&I, you know, let's what, what are we doing in D&I? And everybody's got their new you know, chief D&I officer. And to your point, you cannot silo it. That's what we've been talking about. for, And it has to be, it's that golden thread that ties it all together, led by the C-suite. It's the culture. And so your work here is is just profound. Um, have you gotten any sort of negative feedback from companies who aren't making your just 100 list? Sure, uh, plenty. And we're very keen to receive it, quite honestly, because it makes us better. I mean, this is... First of all, what we, we have a lot of humility. What we're trying to do is very complicated. You know, measuring these things, there's not a lot of credible, independent data. Um, I guess if there was, it wouldn't be that much fun and we wouldn't be, you know, creating so much value, you know. So that's the way I look at it is, um, you know, we are on a journey. And as long as we, we're, we're open and honest and our intentions are honorable and the companies see that, see that then... And I think that um, they see it in their, uh, you know, some see it in their best interest to work with us. But certainly, you know, companies are not happy about the way we measure some things. We have a conversation that's going on right now with a business that that is, is you know, not happy about certain measurements of customer satisfaction. 
and how you measure that. And there's different ways to measure that. And, you know, obviously, if, if, if we select a, a, a methodology for measuring that in which the company doesn't do well, and they have an alternative approach in which they do well, um, that's, that's a basis for a conversation. But for us, the North Star is we want to try and get to the truth. We want to try and triangulate different methodologies, you know, where, where you have three ways to measure something. Well, let's look at all three and figure out if there's a way to, to get an overall picture. Um, and if there's new data that emerges, new ways to measure things, you know, Carol, we are constantly looking for partnerships to work with sort of expert groups on different subject areas on human rights, you know, we're, we're never going to be the experts on all the things we measure. So we don't want to be, we have to find those experts and work with them. Um, so, so that's a good example. You know, there, there are many examples of companies that either were skeptical uh, about the overall process. And I think many now have turned that around and believe that actually that's, that's uh, what we're doing is credible. And now if there's negativity, it's really on, you know, questions around data and metrics as opposed to the overall approach. Well, well, it's great that you're constantly looking for, you know, new ways to measure and that you're also, um, you have this humility to saying, okay, is there a better way? And that you're having those conversations. Um, so that's great. Um, you know, I'd like to turn to a little bit about the change in capitalism and why does capitalism need to be humanized? Well, because it's not working for too many people. And uh, if, it's, if, if we don't think about capitalism as a work in progress, um, we risk, uh, you know, uh, coming to a sticky end or, or, or things happening that are not necessarily, you know, broadly beneficial to society. When you think about excesses of capitalism through history, over, over hundreds of years and thousands of years, you see, you know, whole civilizations crashing down. So I'm not saying, I'm not being alarmist about that today, but certainly when you look at core trends uh, in the country, sure, the markets are up, but, you know, tens of millions of people are living in a state of heightened financial anxiety. Um, and, you know, we see we see problems um, getting worse, not better. So, so I think we, you know, when you look at capitalism, tr you know, trying to be more uh, human, then what we're really talking about is uh, capitalism serving people better, um, working for more people, and uh, really being geared around not just maximizing short-term financial profit. Because if you do that then all of us would lead lives that were very different than the ones we actually lead. You know, you don't, you don't run your life, I imagine, three months at a time trying to maximize your financial profit, you know. So you, you, you do things differently. And I you know, to be fair, I've not met any CEOs who would say, actually, you know, my, my, my legacy is to, is to be known as someone who, who, who was really focused on profits over people, people, you know, CEOs, leaders of organizations, you know, people in organizations always talk about uh, the humanity of business, you know, customers, the people who work there, the people who live in the communities where companies operate. That's what we're talking about when we say capitalism needs to work for those people better. Um, so it's, it's not an abstract concept. And in fact, if you go back to Adam Smith, 
uh, you know, the, one of the founding fathers of capitalism, um, you know, he wrote the theory of moral sentiments before he wrote Wealth of Nations. Um, and it's all about the morality of capitalism, the morality of money. So these, these are not necessarily new concepts. It's just that in this country over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, we've done a really good job of maximizing shareholder value, but it has come at the expense of, of uh, society. And, this, and, and I think we're now sort of re-examining this social compact. And, and I, again, going back to the first rankings, what was profound to me was that almost 50% was worker-related wages and other things. And um, do you feel, I know that, that I think Walmart has been, you know, they've gotten a lot of the barbs, uh, significant ones because of their hourly wage, but they have raised their hourly wages. And you just wrote a piece about, you know, as Walmart goes, dot, 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 we should follow. Um, do you feel that the rankings have helped to raise that hourly rate wage in this country? I do. I feel as though the conversation around wages, uh, we've had an impact on that. And when we look at Amazon and Target uh, and Walmart, um, the, uh, you start to see the, the, the issue of low wages on the agenda. And I think, you know, look at Walmart's stock since they raised wages or Target stock since they raised wages. You know, they took a little hit at the beginning. Um, they've been on a roll since then. So I, I, I think that may, kind of makes the point. Look at Target now. I mean, it's been, its stock has been on a tear. Um, Costco has built one of the most successful brands ever with a higher wage base. Because why? Because, you know, it leads to happier customers, better, better loyalty, customer loyalty, stronger brand, brand value. So all the things that, you know, you know far about, uh, far more about than I. But, but I, I think that you look at, you know, the wage conversation in the country. And um, certainly it's one that we, we need to have. Uh, and I think, you know, I kudos to the companies that have stepped up. Um, we want to reflect that. We want to tell that story. And we want, obviously, to try and incentivize others to emulate that. Um, talking about incentivizing, you have a new type of ranking, which is um, the top 100 companies supporting healthy communities. And you d you did that in conjunction with the um, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about that rankings? Because hopefully that's going to have an impact like the wage um, discussion. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And, you know, it's an example, a great example of the way we, you know, the way just capital's approach can be applied. We basically sat down with Robert Wood Johnson um, Foundation. They're a supporter of of just capitals, uh, and obviously, they uh, their overall mission is to create a culture of health in America. They see business as playing a very key role in that. Um, and so, how do you create a corporate culture of health? What can companies do? Um, you know, with the millions of people they employ and the hundreds of thousands of communities that they touch, what can they do to promote a culture of health in America? And we selected in our model those criteria most relevant to that theme. And we just created a customized ranking based only on those criteria. So really interesting way to say, okay, let's just look at a, a subset of issues related to a particular theme, in this case, uh, health, and let's let's re-rank the companies and see how they how they shake out on that issue. And so, 
you know, I, I, again, it's the idea is like you identify the leaders, which is our focus. We, we always want to focus on the, you know, the, the top companies to try and create a race to the top. And that incentivizes change. A lot of our listeners are um, on the corporate side and they're CCOs or heads of strategy or purpose or such. What are your recommendations to them? They want to be not only on the Just 100 and your various sub uh, lists, but they also want to go higher. Um, I know years ago, you know, everybody wanted to be on Fortune's Most Admired, you know, and one of the eight, you know, and that was very subjective, but yours is now more is objective. So what is your recommendation to, oh boy, you know, um, I don't know if my boss has, my CEO has um, a KPI that includes just capital like Mary Barra, but what are your recommendations? Well, look, we, we first of all, we, we really embrace working with companies and working with people in companies to help us both be better at what we do um, and also understand the specific circumstances of companies. So we we invite that. So the first thing I would recommend is that anybody who's not in touch with us who works at a company that we rank, or even if they work at a company we don't rank and they're interested in the issues, you know, reach out to me, reach out to my colleagues, and you know, let's we'll plug you into that sort of dialogue that we're having with companies. You know, we have something like three hundred and fifty some of, of the thousand companies we track in in direct engagement of one form or another. So. We want that number to increase, and we want to. We want more people in companies to to be in touch with us. Um, the second thing is to to help us help you. You know, we we want to know what tools, what data, um, what kind of benchmarking approaches could we build or make available to companies, to champions within companies, to help them be more effective. You know, is it is it identifying best practice in your industry? Is it uh, showcasing stories of change? Um, we have so much data on that across many companies, many industries, that we want to make that available so that it drives change. You, you know, I go back to our, our core mission. So the, your, your question tees that up perfectly. We are about trying to drive change. You know, if we don't mm -hmm. influence companies for the better on the things we're measuring, then it will all have been for naught. It will be interesting. But we are about outcomes. And so the only way that's going to happen is if we begin to have, you know, stronger relationships with companies to help people change makers in organizations. It could be the CEO, it could be the board, it could be people at, you know, middle management or, or elsewhere. It doesn't matter. Um, we want to help them drive change. So when is the book coming out? <laughs> well, <laughs> I just I just put that on your yeah, list. No, that's 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 a great uh that's thank you for doing that. I I'm <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll fit that in sometime between two in the morning and two thirty in the morning. Oh, no 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 you need a you need a great partner to help you write it. But you know that that's I'm sure if there's somebody out there that wants to do it, it's stories of change. Um, you know, the evolution of just capitalism in uh, America. It's, uh, it's a book I want to read. And I'm sure there are tons of MBAs. And I know all the, uh, the younger people that I'm always coaching or students at, uh, at Net Impact or others, you know, they certainly want to know. So we'll be looking for that. Great. Absolutely. I'm, um, I'm game. I'm all in. Okay, that, that's good. Um, okay, we are getting, unfortunately, down to the bottom of our time together, but I'm really loving this. So we might want to go for a part two. Or, um, but talk to us about, if you're going to give three 
um, suggestions to listeners about whether it's about capitalism changing or how they can get higher in the rankings or, um, you know, is there, um, you know, we have elections coming up. What can they do? What are your three insights you'd like to share in terms of doing this work? The first is that this is really about system change. And so in order to think about system level change to make it make it sort of real for people on a day-to-day basis, you have to understand how your actions can fit within that system. Whether you're a job seeker, whether you're uh, an investor, whether you're a consumer or a corporate leader, um, how might you think about making decisions a little differently with the knowledge that, um, you know, corporate justness, corporate purpose, um, as defined by, in our case, the public, uh, with the knowledge that that, you know, can create these win-wins, you know, can create companies that serve stakeholders better. So what actions might, might one take with, with, with the data and the analysis that we make available? How could that inform those choices? Um, because if you add all those up to, you know, millions and millions of individual choices, you, that's how movements start. And so I think that that's really important. Um, the second recommendation is, goes back to what I said about our methodology. You know, it really is a work in progress. We, we would love to hear from people who, uh, you know, want to, want to, want to join the movement, want to help us be better, um, and have ideas on how to do that. So that's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're open for business in that regard. Um, and then I, you know, I think the third recommendation is, you know, just sort of keep, keep, uh, your eyes and ears open, pay attention. I mean, you know, I can't read a newspaper or go on a blog or, you know, come to work or listen to a podcast or whatever without some element of what we're doing being relevant. And I think once you start to pay attention, you, you really see that these issues are not just important, but they're uh, affecting, um, you know, most of the things that, 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 you know, I'm sure your listeners are involved with. Since you track eight issues, um, what do you see are the most pressing issues uh, in the near term for companies to truly focus on? Well, I think number one is is uh, fair wage and living wage. You know, that's always been most heavily ranked uh, within the worker area. Um, and that includes things like, you know, gender pay equity, uh, any other sort of inequities in a, in a company's compensation structures. Um, but it also means raising wages, you know, tens of millions of Americans work well below living wage level and struggle to make ends meet. Tens of millions of Americans work at big publicly traded companies and are also reliant on government support. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, I don't think that's a model that we're, we can be particularly proud of. So when you think about, um, those issues that those are always the most important. And then the second area I think is how companies really support communities, create good jobs. Um, you know, there are so many, uh, you know, places around, around the country in cities and rural areas that are under uh, a lot of distress and need good jobs, need, need business to be vibrant, you know, so we're, we're tracking those things and, I think that's going to become one of the defining elements of uh, sort of corporate justness over the next several years. What would happen 
If you fell asleep at night with a big smile on on your face and you said to yourself, we did it. I, I think I would probably stumble across some book or article or some story of a, of, of, of a human whose life had been improved on account of just capital. Someone who said, you know, uh, I used to make this much money or the benefits were awful or, you know, this company didn't do X, Y, Z or you know, whatever the issue. And that was a few years ago. And now uh, that's no longer the case. You know, um, things have happened. Changes have been made. And my, my life, my family's life, my prospects for the future, my community are so much better. And, you know, that was in part due to just capital. That would, if I saw that, I would think, yeah, okay, that's good. So the, so the hard work is really paying off and you, you've got that smile. But it, it also sounds like the work is never going to um, end because there's always more to do. Um, so in closing, and I love this conversation. And again, I want to thank you and every single one of your colleagues at Just Capital. I, I visited uh, last week and I saw, God, there was this horde of interns. I bet, you're, I get, I bet you're, um, you had too many that wanted to work with you. So thanks to them as well. Um, what haven't we asked you that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, well, I think the, the question, especially for you and your audience, is how do we really drive corporate adoption? You know, we award the, the Just 100 companies a seal. We, wanted, we want companies to embrace that and use it. I want to be walking through Times Square a few years from now and see a, a, a 50-foot, you know, just seal <laughs> beaming down on me. How do I get to that point? I would love for someone to help me do that. You know, it's a seal of approval. It's a seal of pride. It's a seal that our capitalism has evolved. And I'm sure that if we have any listeners, please you know, send a note to us or send a note to Martin. And if you've got some ideas, um, I think it's just, you know, a lot more people knowing about it. I also think it's a lot of younger people um, deciding where they're going to um, where they're going to work, who they're going to buy from, who they're going to advocate for or against because they are or are not a just company. So I want to thank you, Martin. I know I twisted your arm to get you on the show. Um, We want to, uh, perhaps when the next uh, rankings come out, maybe we'll do a a short uh, new interview as a breaking news, which would be great. But I want to thank you and I want to thank your colleagues. And I would just like to say to our listeners today, again, what is your purpose? Thank you, Martin Whitaker. This has been a fabulous conversation. 